everyone, and welcome to episode 404 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have the full crew here this week kicking things off with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How are you today, Richard? Hey, Seth. Doing well. How are you doing? I am doing super well. Excited. This is the, the last podcast before we head out to Vegas. Our next one will be recorded live, I think, out in Vegas when we're all together. So uh, getting hyped for the Vegas trip. But before we get into all that, we got another co-hosted crib. Good morning, crib. How are you today? Morning, morning. Uh, bunch of tech issues, but, you know, getting there anyways. <laughs> Uh, well, today we got a pretty uh, pretty interesting cast. So we're going to be jumping around. We got a bunch of kind of small-ish topics. We got some spoilers from Jumpstart, the, the real Jumpstart, not the set-specific one. But we got our first spoilers from that. We got the starter commander deck deck list. We have info on Hasbro and Wizards finances. We got their Q3 earnings this week. We got some comments from Mark Rosewater that we wanted to mention. Some updates to the Oracle for Landfall and Surveil. Some fish mail. So we're going to be bouncing all over the place, which means I guess we should just jump right into it. And let's start with probably the most fun topic, which is new magic cards. Richard, we got our first look at Jumpstart 2022 yesterday or a couple days ago. We only got two new cards so far and a couple of reprints, Kiki Jiki, Cold Steel Heart, but the new cards are kind of sweet. Why don't you guide us through a couple of spoilers? Yeah, we got we got Weeb, Cold Steel Heart. Uh, it's an anime girl, in case you, you care. Uh, uh, yeah, then, I, it's gorgeous. I don't know why it's just random anime art now, but okay. Eh. Uh, but the two new cards are uh, Isu the Abominable, three blue blue, five five, legendary snow creature Yeti. Uh, that's a, yeah, okay. Uh, you may look at the top card of your library anytime. You may play Snowlands and cast snow spells from the top of your library. Whenever another snow permanent enters the battlefield under your control, you may pay uh, green, white, or blue. If you do, put a plus one, plus one counter on Isu the Abominable. It's a 5-5 five, five Yeti. Snow I, matters. <laughs> so it's Abominable Snowman, which is kind of cool. Right. Do, you remember, do you remember, Richard, like... When Obnixilis came out, the Planeswalker, and we used to have this, like, kind of criticism of Planeswalkers of that era, of them being so cookie-cutter, and you kind of, like, yep. same abilities, plus draw a card, negative kill something, ultimate that wins a game eventually. I feel like we're seeing a little bit of that with Commander now, where Wizards knows, like, if you want to support a janky theme or tribe, you just got to give it a Commander that generates card advantage, and it's going to be pretty good, and people are going to play it. So, I think Issue seems like a fun Bant Snow Commander, but I also think it's a little bit boring. It's just another, like, oh, you can play the stuff off the top of your deck card, which we get a, well, every set, we, it seems like we get at least one and sometimes multiple of these if you include the commander decks. So I think it's a cool card. I'm glad we're getting more Snow Matters commanders, which, what are we at? Jorn right now is really the only yeah. commander, I think, that really cares about snow. But the design feels a little a little cookie cutter and kind of the traditional, like, oh, we want this to be good in commanders. Oh, hey, let's have the commander draw cards. Would you rather be when a snow permanent deals combat damage to a player draw a card? <laughs> Would you rather have a Toski effect? Like those are the two like go tos yeah. for wizards to push whatever they want. Um, it's is this the only Yeti we have? Can I can I build Yeti tribal? I, we do I have think we do can. have other Yetis. Bant Yetis, right? <laughs> I don't know about Bant though. Yetis, I think like they had them in Cold Snap at least, but I think they were mostly red. I think they're like primarily red. There are some oh blue ones, God. but red is like the big Yeti color. <laughs> I don't okay, know. Would you build well, a deck around this? I mean, it can't be that bad. You're playing Bant yeah. Snow stuff. That's like Snowlands decent. You, it also, you, you can play lands off the top too, right? So even like even if you're not playing a snow deck, you just play snow lands, and then like this thing is like serviceable, right? So in a real yeah. snow deck, I think it'd be pretty good. Uh, so next up we have Ardor's Cobbler of War, one in a red, legendary creature, goblin shaman at one one haste. Uh, when it or another creature enters the battlefield under your control, that creature gets plus two, plus zero until end of turn. Three and a red. Create a 1-1 one, one red goblin creature token with haste. Activate only as a sorcery. This is an interesting uh, design. Go, what do you think, Grim? Yeah, it's the... Okay, so when it enters the battlefield, another or another creature enters the battlefield, your deck true gets plus two, zero. It's pretty sweet for goblins, right? It's just a 
kind of a generic goblin. So far, this feels a lot like Isu. This is just generic red legendary goblin, right? It doesn't do anything too different. Do the, So far, the two cards seem kind of safe, don't they? I think the interesting part of Ardo, uh, Ardo's, whatever it is, like... It doesn't give your things haste. So there is a little bit of a build around aspect. Like it has haste, but it pumps oh. your other things to turn they come into play. So by itself, it kind of does nothing. But if you have like the Goblin Lord that gives all your stuff haste or other synergies like for mass haste, then it kind of becomes really powerful because you're giving all this stuff like plus two plus oh and hasting it and smashing your opponent. So I think I like it a little bit. I think there's like a cool design there. I couldn't really see myself playing this as a commander in my goblin deck over like Cranko or Muxus or Wart. But in the 99, if you got enough ways to give your team haste, I would probably play this as a additional goblin in the 99. Yeah, I mean, you have anger, you have stuff like that, right? And then if you make 10 tokens, like someone's dead, right? <laughs> like yeah. it, it, with with haste, right? So you need the haste, right? But even like the the goblin like three mana create three goblins like it's decent with artists right so yeah. why does it have fine. to be at activated sorcery speed that's the only thing it doesn't seem like it's oh no, no that, you can't. that activation sucks that's like four oh, yeah. mana yeah. create one goblin <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at that, sorcery it, speed too. i don't know why they had to make it sorcery speed but that yeah that thing is not happening oh. Although it's it's technically a 3-1 the turn it comes into play because it has haste. So you get to make it and smash. But still, even even 4 for a 3-1 for a turn is not very good. Uh, okay, it's Seth, a mana refresh thing, me. Uh, what is this legal in? What is, what is okay, Jumpstart? Jump, <laughs> Jumpstart is what they call Eternal Legal. So Commander, <laughs> Legacy Vintage, not Modern, not Pioneer, not Explorer. We'll see if it's on Arena. Last time they had a Jumpstart to Arena. So Historic, you could play those cards. I haven't seen confirmation. I'm assuming it's going to be on Arena again, but we don't actually know that for sure. But think of Muxus. Uh, Jumpstart's where Muxus came from. So if you've ever died to Muxus in a format, you could potentially <laughs> die to this <laughs> to this in the, that same format. Um, mm. So I think those were those are really the only two spoiler cards. Uh, Kiki Jiki coming back, I guess, is kind of cool. That's a decent reprint. Kiki's still like twelve bucks. And Krim, what do you think of the Cold Steel uh, art? You're the you're the anime <laughs> lover. Like, how, what tier of anime art is that? That is an amazing anime <laughs> artwork. Like, I I am thoroughly in love with this one. It is gorgeous. Um, it also kind of makes me feel like this is a little bit of a peek at what the Final Fantasy artwork's gonna look like. Wait, Could is that a screen a cap of coach? Final Fantasy? No, no, it, it isn't. But like, <laughs> then it, it, it's it, not what the Final Fantasy art's gonna. I, 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 sadly, I want it to be because like, I think that kind of artwork is great. But if it's a screen cap, I'm gonna be miserably sad. Like, please just make it this. But yeah, no, I think this Cold Steel Heart looks really cool. Um, I love the it's rock. foil. It would look pretty good Ooh. in foil. Ooh, it probably would be pretty, pretty sweet in foil. Yeah. Oh my God, I want this so much. Like this artwork is gorgeous. So Jumpstart, I think, early December. So keep an eye out for, I guess, after we get Brothers War spoilers in another week or so. Keep an eye out for uh, more info uh, on that soon. Speaking of products, though, we got the deck list for the Starter Commander decks, which we mentioned a couple weeks ago. Actually, we talked about a while ago how it's getting hard to get into Commander because cards are so complicated. And right after that, Wizards announced, hey, we're printing these Starter Commander decks. And we were kind of in wait-and-see mode of, like, are they going to be worth it? How good are the deck lists? Are they really going to be starter friendly if you want to teach a brand new commander player how to get into the format, how to play Magic? We got the deck list now. They're selling for $20 to $25, so pretty cheap for 2022 commander decks. What do you guys think of these lists? Like, obviously, if you're a super enfranchised player, they're probably not for you, but you're not the target audience for these cards. What do you think of them for new players or teaching someone how to get into Commander? Did they hit the mark there? I I think that a good, like, the good amount of these Commanders are actually, uh, like, easy to learn. Uh, I, I was recently trying to teach Commander uh, to somebody, and I've noticed that a lot of the words and the abilities are kind of intense, right? They're kind of intense and uh, uh, like kind of like uh, like just like a mouthful. So these commanders being simple and whatnot, uh, I actually think is great. However, the rest of the deck, a lot of it doesn't feel as simple as as the commander like the commander is. So this still feels 
a little bit above the starting like commander player. This is I play 60 card constructed mm-hmm. and I'm going to play commander. <laughs> so here's my first commander deck. Um, like the amount of text on each each card is like staggering still, right? So this is not for brand new players, I don't think. I think this is like, you know, you play modern or something, you want to get started in commander, you buy this thing, then you can navigate, right? So starter as in starter budget or something like yeah, that, yeah. but like not, not like complexity. Like there's a planeswalker in here. We'll get about, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> but the, the blue white deck has a planeswalker in there and apparently like 75% of people don't know what that is, right? They, so this is definitely not super noob friendly <laughs> they they all have a planeswalker actually that's probably why they need that 75 percent to uh to learn what the card the most famous card type in the game is somehow i mean i think these decks look simpler than a normal commander deck like yes the cards still have a ton of words on them but that's kind of magic these days i guess it's not like they're full of vanilla creatures or something so if you're still trying to teach a brand new player it's going to be hard but i think the number of mechanics in this uh each deck is way lower there's the traditional ones like there's a flying theme deck and there's a lot of flying and you see some menace and abilities like that but as far as like weird keywords set specific mechanics i was browsing through these decks and there's not a ton so i think as far as Compared to other Commander Precons, this is probably a better starting point, but it's still not going to be super easy to teach someone Commander with these decks, I think. So I like the decks. Do you think they're worth it to buy for an existing player? That's my question with these decks. Even at $25, let's say they're $20, $25, there's not a lot of, like, I don't know, staples? Like, the total deck price of all of them are, like, $60-ish, give or take. But you got to remember that retail on a random common is like a minimum of 25 cents so if you have 100 cards that's going to add up to 25 dollars just at bulk prices essentially so not a lot of high-end cards the one high-ish end card is oh no what was the name of that card sinual hero fans but that's a card that literally no one plays it's a (laughs) a older zasaga card that's just never been reprinted so it's like 12 bucks but it's like zero percent on eda track no one actually plays it what do you think? Like, are people going to buy these? If they're not for brand new players, are they good for existing players at some level? I I do think that Zombies is a popular enough tribe that the zombie deck could be, like, pretty good. Um, it, it actually doesn't look terrible, right? Like, when, when I look at the zombie deck, it looks pretty sweet. Um, I don't think any of the other decks are that good. Maybe the dragon one, just because it's dragons. Again, the ones that are just popular tribes, I would take a look at. Otherwise, like elves, dragons, and zombies, sure. The red-black one, and I mean, sorry to say this, Richard, but I, but you know, the birds one. The blue-white is a bird's deck, Crim. We all know the power of the birds. It's got cartographer's hawk, even. It is like the Richardiest deck. You know Richard's going to bring this to a commander clash when he has to fill in a sky scanner in it. Come on! That's odd. This list seems familiar. I did think Carter was a weird choice, because that's actually like a kind of complicated ability like to care about attacking matters and like stuff dying during combat it's it's a little bit complicated compared to a lot of the other ones most of them are like hey i'm a big dragon hey i'm a zombie or whatever so i think they did do a good job kind of hitting casual themes like yeah zombies really popular dragon super popular token slash elf sub theme really popular and then i think you could even argue that blue white flyers like if you've ever done a draft it's probably an archetype you know just like you play flying things and attack with them so i think all those are good the the rakdos one is the only one i was like eh, i don't know what they're <laughs> i don't know what they're trying to do with this one but I might pick some up to try to teach people with. I, I think, I think that it's. <laughs> I that that is a that's a bold move. Okay, I don't see it really any different than like you know just picking up any of the normal ones, other than oh. like. You gotta right? remember, like, like people are like, "What the heck's upkeep? Do do I draw before upkeep? What's attack and block?" And then you're like, "Well, you know, there's like flanking on this, and you can phase out, and then yeah. you encore, and then you take trample." Down. You're like, "What?" I'm like, "Is it my draw phase yet? Do I draw during your turn?" Right? Like, well, I mean, most people are still on. Wait, why do I untap? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah that that's that's true. I mean, I guess the question would be then like. 
is there even a way to make a commander deck that's simple enough to teach a new player? <laughs> like, what, what would that be? Just right? a bunch of like, vanilla creatures, essentially? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, do, be, do you remember uh, the standard starter decks that they would oh give off for free? At yeah. Yes. Like, that's what you need, right? Like, exactly, enfranchised yeah. players won't buy it because no they don't buy, buy this, right? But new players, they need that to actually learn to play the game, right? So, you would have a bunch of vanilla creatures and maybe like one creature with flying right and then that'll be that right and then you learn the phases you learn how to use your mana you learn how to untap and block and all that and then you can start adding in all these keywords right yeah so maybe this kind of fizzles then if it's like not simple enough to teach brand new players it also has no new cards and not a ton of value for existing players so I don't know. Maybe maybe there isn't a, t a huge market for this. But you show up at F and M and you forgot your decks, and you're like, okay, I'll buy. I got twenty. I'll buy bucks this out. birds deck. It's basically yeah. the same power as my real birds deck, and then we we'll go play, right? Like I think you have to know how to play Magic, or like you know, you play Standard or something, and all your friends are playing Commander. Then you pick one of these up, right? And then this is totally manageable for you, right? So I, I would no say it's new to Commander decks rather than new to Magic yeah. decks. There's no it, Toski, though, Richard. Commander. There's no I Toski. agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so those are those are the new products that we uh, learned about this week. We also learned a little bit about what's going on over at Hasbro in, uh, in Wizards. Wizards, or Hasbro, I guess, actually, had to report their Q3 earnings. Every, every quarter, the company's got to report how they've been doing for that quarter, and... I was kind of shocked. I almost have started tuning out their quarterly reports because they say the same thing every time, which is, oh, magic's up, magic's up, magic's up, magic's up. It's been like this for years. This quarter, though, things were different. Richard, how's magic doing and wizards doing in quarter three? All right. Uh, it's been a rough Q3. Revenues were uh, $1.7 but that's down from 15% from Q3 2021, operating profit down 47%. So their operating Ooh. profit's only 194 million. Uh, they blame things like um, royalties paid out for Universes Beyond, which makes sense, right? Like if they sell a lot of Universes Beyond, a chunk of that goes back to um, the, the owners of the IP. And then uh, what was that quote about... Uh, Price fatigue? Let me pull uh, it up. Let me see. <laughs> Do you have the quote, Seth? Oh, um, I, I don't have the quote. Pri oh, magic players are very price yeah. sensitive at the moment. We're, yeah, we're, we're very price sensitive. <laughs> uh, we're very which, price sensitive at the moment. I think it's true, although I don't know if that's actually like... <laughs> Uh, the real like you just printed a thousand dollar proxies of course there is some price sensitivity and people are not just buying every product that you put out plus the economy in the real world is not in the best place with inflation and everything my question is does this mean anything like obviously it's notable because it's different it isn't just another quarter of hey magic's up you know 20 percent 30 percent 10 percent whatever it is usually it's different that it's down is this just a quirk? Is this uh, something weird with the economy is not doing great? We also have some anger in the community over like the thousand dollar proxies that maybe is causing issues. So yeah, all these influences, maybe there were less set releases. The release schedule is always something that Hasbro brings up compared to past sets. Maybe an extra set was released last year that didn't come out this year. So does this mean anything in the grand scheme of things? Does this mean magic is actually trending down or is this just a weird quarter and we, when we get quarter four it's going to go back to normal and things booming and going up again uh so i think it's normal so everyone saw the post-covid deflation slash recession yeah. right but hasbro did not so we're like that's weird i think this is a reflection of that i think though this is bad for Hasbro and they're going to work to make it, um, you know, not look as bad. And what does that mean? It means squeezing your wallets further, right? <laughs> like you want these numbers to go up, right? Uh, you don't want them to go down and not 47% down, right? So even with COVID and even with the recession and stuff, they, they want to mitigate that. And I don't know if, so the, the so they, they would have seen this coming from a while, you know, from, from a while out. I don't know if like Magic 30 is a response to this or um, 
you know, magic 30th anniversary or what we're going to see in store. But, you know, they want the next quarters to be strong, right? And especially we're going to see Q4, which should be their strongest quarter because it's Christmas and for retail and things like that. We'll see how that goes. But I expect Hasbro to try to make more money to stop this. Uh, because if you're if you're like a shareholder of Hasbro, you're like that's not that's not cool, right? Like forty seven is a is a bit big, <laughs> right? Uh, so yeah, I I, I don't know. I, this and, can't and be good for us. It was like significantly below Wall Street's expectations too, as far as like how much profit per share and all that kind of stuff. The other thing that was mentioned, there's if you want to dig into it, there's a whole like investors call and all this stuff. So you can listen to several hours of this stuff if you actually want to. But one of the other interesting things they mentioned is they just have way too much product right now, which I was wondering, what do you, what product do you think that is? Like what, what is backing up? I've heard rumblings about it being like more supplemental stuff than main sets, but what product do you think is just cluttering up wizards warehouses? Like what are people not buying? There's so many products these days. Is there anything we can point to that's like, this set maybe didn't sell as well as we thought, or this product, any, any guesses? The stuff that went on sale during the Amazon Prime Day. <laughs> what what, I, what was that? Like so that was booster boxes for like sixty was, bucks or something, right? There was really yeah, a lot something, of Innistrad yeah. stuff. Innistrad stuff was super super discounted, like booster boxes. AFR stuff was also super discounted. In uh, some random commander decks, it was funny. You could tell which commander decks were like more popular than others because, like, for a commander release with four or five decks, like one or two of them would be on sale, and the other ones you wouldn't hear anything about. So, like, the less popular of the commander decks, and interestingly, that kind of uh, matches up with what I've seen IRL as well. Like, I was going through Walmart the other day and walked through the Magic Isle, and they had a lot of those same products, like, really marked down, trying to get rid of, like, last year's Innistrad stuff, trying to get rid of these old Commander decks. So it seems like the same thing is happening with those products in actual retail stores, too, as well as online. So maybe they just overprinted some of that stuff and it wasn't as popular as they expected it to be. Interesting, yeah, I mean, for sure. So, so what's interesting is revenue is down, but they've made more magic products than ever, <laughs> right? So it means it's the same money just being spread over whatever, right? So maybe in the past you bought a box of whatever standard set came out, but now you save that money and you bought a secret layer instead, right? And, and then therefore that box of Innistrad goes on to Walmart discount bin or whatever, right? I mean, because Wizards making more products doesn't put more money in our product, our pockets to buy those products. Like, at some point, don't they just max out the people? I guess the hope is that they're going to be drawing in new people who haven't bought it before with some of these products. But if that doesn't happen, like, at some point, they're just going to max out the budgets of the existing community. And doubly so when we're dealing with all the inflation and stuff going on in the, the real world economy right now. That It's a tight time for people's budgets, so... Well, hopefully it reverses uh, the trend. Do you think there's any chance that we start seeing less products because of this? With Wizards calling out, like, universes beyond royalty payments, and we're so overloaded on some of these products, do you think if the release schedule slows down, or is Wizards Impulse just going to be go, 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 more, more, more? I mean, if, if it slows down, it won't be in, we won't see it for quite some time, right? It'll probably slow down, like, years down the line. Uh, yeah. But, like, I, I don't think that... I don't know. Me, I, I'm not a business runner, right? But the thing is, like, I feel like you gotta keep, you gotta like hold out for a little bit longer. Yeah, Universes Beyond is the interesting case um, because they sell really well, right? But Wizards makes less money from them, right? And if you instead bought, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings set instead of Standard, Wizards makes less money. Right. And the growth of that, like the amount of new players that it draws in needs to offset that money. And if it doesn't, then the question is, where does that leave Wizards? So I could see a world in which Universes Beyond is actually very popular, but Wizards cuts it anyway. Right. Because it doesn't bring enough people in and it's just people buying the the lower margin product. Right. And they're actually making less money than if they just sold, you know, four Praetors in a secret lair or something. Right. So that's kind of interesting that I never thought about the the royalties and how Wizards actually makes less money from Secret Layers, uh, Universes Beyond. So, so maybe I, the Universes Beyond haters will get their way at the end anyway, right? Because it's just less profitable. 
I would love to see what the split is. Like, I wonder how much they actually have to pay to whatever Fortnite Transformers. What I figured, yeah. I thought maybe it'd be like, hey, they're advertising our game, so this is a win for us, so it wouldn't be that expensive. But apparently, there is like a meaningful expense associated with getting these IPs. So, yeah. Anyway, that is that is the finance news. Before we jump into our next topic, we got a special sponsor today. Richard, take it away. All right. Today's podcast is brought to you by the official The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power podcast. Yes, we've done it. We've got Lord of the Rings sponsorship. Uh, so here's a quick word from them. I'm Felicia Day, and I'm the host of the official The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power podcast. In every episode, I'm going backstage for an all-access look at what it took to bring Middle-earth to life. I'll even have the first full breakdown of the incredible season finale with the series showrunners, J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay. I will be sharing juicy behind-the-scenes stories and processing all the holy crap moments with the members of the cast and crew. Numenor has got to be the most amazing thing ever, and we wanted it to just be the greatest kingdom of men that ever existed. The elves are arrogant and vain. They're not beyond being corrupted. Can, can I just say, watching Owen Arthur eat in his full regalia is the most hilarious thing. So if you want to deep dive into every episode, watch The Rings of Power on Prime Video and listen to all eight episodes of the official The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power podcast for free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app now. All right. So thank you to the official Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power podcast for sponsoring today's episode. Back to you, Seth. All right, so let's keep moving forward. There was a, a post from Mark Rosewater on his uh, blog talk this week that actually got a lot of traction in the community. It was a pretty big conversation about casual players versus enfranchised players. Richard, uh, kind of summarize it for us, and then we can uh, we can talk about it. What did what did Mark say on the blog this week? All right, so uh, Mark said basically. The vast majority of tabletop magic players, over 75%, don't know what a planeswalker is, don't know who I am, Mark Rosewater, <laughs> and don't know what a format is, let alone any kind of format, don't frequent magic content on the internet, and are far less knowledgeable about the game than enfranchised fans realize. Hey. Do you buy any of this? <laughs> Yeah, yes and yes and no, I would say. I think it is true that uh, us in franchise players do forget sometimes how many people play Magic casually. So I think that the numbers are probably true. I do wonder what this considers a Magic player. Like, if you bought a booster pack 20 years ago in the Walmart checkout line and the cards are sitting in your closet somewhere... Are you considered to be one of these players? Like, we don't really know what the definitions of these things are. So I feel like Wizards' definition of magic player is maybe a little bit different than what ours would be as far as someone actively being involved with the game on a, you know, weekly, monthly basis or whatever. I also wonder about the the Planeswalker stat. I, I believe the rest of it, I think, is probably true. The Planeswalker one, though, do casuals, like, ultra-casuals really not know what a Planeswalker is in 2022? Like, they've been the face of the game for a decade. Like, every storyline, pretty much every booster box, booster pack has Planeswalkers on them. I would think that even if you were, like, the ultra-casual buy a commander deck or a booster pack in the checkout line when you're, you know, out shopping, wouldn't you, like, accidentally have figured out what a Planeswalker is? Do you think that stat is actually, like, realistic? Or is that just those, like, lapse players? Like, is this counting so many people who bought a pack in 2000 before Planeswalkers existed, and those count as, like, magic players by these stats that, how would they know if that actually counts as a magic player? I absolutely hate it when Mark says this because it's like a a bad faith argument, right? So he doesn't define what a tabletop magic player is, right? And it could be, like Seth said, someone that picked up a booster pack in the last 20 years or someone ha who has seen a game of magic, right? But if you're <laughs> going to throw around the stat that 75% don't know what a planeswalker is, you need to give me the other stats, right? Like it's probably like... 95% can't play a game of magic with the correct rules, right? Like the average dollar spent 
uh, is like $1 or something, right? Over the lifetime of the player, right? Like I, I think he's referring to super casual people who like don't really buy cards. They bought like a, a starter deck or something in 1994 and they don't know how to play the game, right? And that's fine, right? But to bring it up in this community is weird, right? Like when we're talking about like, oh, you know, like power creep or cards are too complex and then he throws this thing in i'm like what does this even mean right like when we talk about like thousand dollar boosters like you know 99.9999% won't buy it or even look at it right so then why are we bringing these people into the conversation right like they're kind of in their own world and like i just i just don't buy it right like if everyone is so casual can you explain to me why cards are so complicated today can you explain to me why prices are so expensive right like they don't they don't intersect, right? So, yes, I there is some definition where this stat makes sense, but I don't personally think it's applicable. And I'm just going to lump this in with the 50% of players are female, right? Like, again, it's like this magic weird thing where, like, every stat we look to, right, everything we look at, we know it's heavily skewed male, but they keep throwing this around, right? And I just... I just need to know what they define as a tabletop magic player, right? Because I don't think it's what we think of when we when we think, right? And I, I would gather that like 99% of tabletop players can't play magic, right? Like it's got to be something like that where they don't know the real rules. Like how can uh, you don't even know what a planeswalker is, right? How are you going to know like anything else about the game, right? And should we be considering those uh, when we're talking about design and stuff like that, right? So it, it's weird. And I don't think it's a really good faith argument. I don't even know how you like get these results how, how do you get these answers like if you're a casual magic player i i don't care I, why would i take a survey oh survey close do you have a moment no i don't like 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 i don't i don't I mean, you could theoretically go to like so okay so you'd have to be at an fnm or something right but you could go into an fnm and start sampling right but then you'd be at a basically a real event right so you'd have to like bust into people's kitchens is that a magic card you're playing you know what a play talker is uh mark just goes door to door knocking on random doors like the kool-aid man (laughs) that's a planeswalker (laughs) maybe maybe they call you i don't know or maybe maybe you're at like comic-con even though you're pretty hardcore right like you're just like at some other nerdy event and like do you play magic you're like yeah do you know the planeswalkers no <laughs> right I, like I, I don't know i wonder if it could also come from like sales data like if they have someone buys a pack in the checkout line somewhere like does that filter yeah. back to wizards through their credit card like can they somehow like gather how many people are doing that like so maybe that's a possibility one thing i will say about this and i don't think mark is doing this here but i feel like these numbers in this number is one of like Watsy's go-tos for shutting down criticism from enfranchised players. Like, yeah. I, and I hate to see it used that way so often. It's, it's like an unwinnable argument. Anytime there's something that the online magic community or enfranchised players get upset about, it's so easy for wizards to just pull out the, Oh, well <clears throat> really you're the minority. Like we, you know, I, there was a, there was one on Twitter this past week that said there's actually an inverse correlation between what magic Twitter and magic Reddit say and what actual magic players believe. Like it's actually the opposite. So if you see magic Reddit and Twitter having an opinion, it's actually the opposite of that is what the truth is. And I feel like wizards uses this, <laughs> to just like shut down any sort of conversation or legitimate criticism, which I find that to be frustrating, especially as Richard was saying, because we don't really know where they're getting these stats from or what they're based on. So they're kind of meaningless stats to begin with. So I almost feel like it's just a corporate speak deflection marketing ploy to some extent where you just pull out these numbers and it's like, oh, I guess I can't, I can't say anything about universes beyond because, uh, you know, you posted this thing about 75% of players that are like way more casual. So maybe I, maybe my opinion doesn't matter. And I'm the one that like, you know, has the wrong opinion. So I wish they didn't use it in that manner. And I feel like they do. Anyway, uh, any other, other thoughts on Mark Rosewater's post before we keep moving on? All right, so uh, we found out about some Oracle changes. These actually leaked out last weekend because players saw them change in the Gatherer, and then Wizards posted an article about it. The two big ones are 
cards that had landfall but were not keyworded as landfall like retreat to coral helm for example it's landfall but it doesn't actually say landfall um it says when a land enters a battlefield under your control blah 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 blah. those cards now actually say landfall and also the same is true of surveil cards that had look at the top card of your library or top number of cards of your library put any number in your graveyard put the rest on top or whatever uh, those now actually say surveil so for example consider rather than one mana instant look at the top card of your library you can put it in your graveyard draw a card and now it just says surveil draw a card and same with like contingency plans and uh otherworldly gaze is the one that sees some play in standard that's now surveil three rather than it's a big wall of text what do you think of these oracle changes do, do you like seeing these unkeyworded versions of keyworded mechanics getting keywords uh, is it worth it to make these changes even though the cards technically don't read exactly the same and with surveillance specific there are like a few ways this matters in gameplay there's like a handful of cards that trigger off surveil in specific like the mere spy bug when you surveil it gets a plus one plus one counter positive or negative to see uh this kind of update uh it's it's positive and i i just because i mean that was something that i would often say every time like so this is surveil why don't i just yeah. surveil this right like uh and because there was a chance i mean there was a time where i think you know like oh well disinformation campaign this would trigger here uh things like that i i, I don't know i mean I, i'm just happy because then this maybe this means that we're getting more surveil in a future set right so it clearly matters somewhat so I'm excited to see what becomes of this. But as of right now, like Surveil looks like it could be pretty sweet, right? Like there's there's going to be something coming down the pipeline. There has to be. At least that's my speculation. And again, it just makes cards less wordy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know why they just don't do it. Like anytime they invent a new keyword, like all the old cards should be updated, right? And they should just say landfall and then in parenthesis like the actual old text, right? Because yeah, like like Krim said, we're like, okay, when the land enters the battlefield, dude, they say, oh, so it's landfall, right? Mm-hmm. So okay, so I, I yeah, like, I don't know why they have to like pass a certain threshold. Like as soon as you invent right. a new keyword for it, uh, I think you know you, you just go back and update all things, and I, like you know maybe once in a blue moon, like you'll break modern or something, but like who cares, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> because like some synergy happens, right? Like. Who cares? Like you just ban it if it's important, but like I highly doubt it would really matter in, in any case, right? So it just makes it easier to understand, and then just add the reminder text, right? If you're afraid that no one knows like what this is, I wonder yeah. if this this changes because they're running out of room on cards with all the words we get these days. <laughs> like, do they have to keyword more things so they can fit all the text that they want to onto the cards that they're making? I mean, I think the change is a positive though. I would be fine with them. If a card has a mechanic, just put the mechanic on it. I don't care if there's a single card in Brothers War that has some random mechanic that isn't quote unquote in the set. Like, I think it's just, it makes it easier to read the cards as you were saying. Like these keywords are a shortcut that if you're an experienced player, you see landfall, you know what that does. You don't have to read all of it. If you're not an experienced player, you win anyway because you can put the reminder text on there. So I would like to see Wizards do this even more aggressively, I would say. And I'm excited to try to build a surveil deck. I think it'll, <laughs> the payoffs are pretty bad. I don't think the mere spy bug is going to like break any formats or anything. But now because of these changes, I don't know, maybe there's a sweet like pioneer surveil budget deck or whatever, explorer, historic at least it's worth trying now i think when it wasn't before so maybe it adds a, a new like tier three deck to some format which would be kind of cool <laughs> you know it's funny wizards is like oh we can't add this keyword because it's not playing appropriate and like oh, we'll just throw gandalf into modern it's fine <laughs> yeah. right you're like like do, do these arguments hold any weight anymore just like throw the keyword in right like no one will notice <laughs> it's fine I mean, uh, Transformers and Brothers War just did it for me. Like that's anytime they say that, I'm just gonna like <laughs> pull out Transformers and Brother War and yell scoreboard and run into the other room or something. So, um. I'm 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 will I okay I I'm already here, but I am willing to say that Transform Transformers is fine. It's fine. I mean, it's it, it's the artifact it, set. It's fine, but I don't think you can, like, pull out the, oh, we can't have landfall because there's no <laughs> landfall on this plane if you're going to put Transformers and Brothers. Well, you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways, Watsy. <laughs> uh, all right. I think, were those all of our main topics? Are we to fish mail already? Are we actually going to have the fabled short cast? <laughs> it never actually happens. I guess we're at fish mail, Richard. I get fish mail us. All right. If you have questions, send them into at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MTG Fish Mail, and we'll get to your questions on air. 
Uh, Duck Oat, how will you be able to distinguish official Watsy 30th anniversary cards from Wink proxies that the Wink proxies will be of higher quality, of higher printing quality? The Wink proxies could also be printed with normal card backs for improved aesthetics. All right, there's too many winks in here. Hold on. Wink, okay. wink, 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 wink. Yeah, wink. okay. How, how will you be able to distinguish 30th anniversary cards from basically counterfeits, right? I Especially mean, in a sleeve. You, you, uh, you won't. I mean, especially if they're... So it does have a different set symbol. So you would be able to distinguish them from a, a counterfeit alpha or beta card. But if people counterfeit the 30th, 30th anniversary cards, I, you're probably not going to be able to tell them apart. But that's true with a lot of cards through a sleeve. Like, you can't tell the difference between an authentic whatever, Jason Mind Sculptor and a counterfeit one, double-sleeved across the table. That's very unlikely. If you can pick it up and feel it and whatever, you're probably going to be able to tell, at least with the counterfeits <laughs> that I've seen. But from across the table, I, I don't think you're going to know. Sorry, you, you, you like rip test your opponent's cards. Like, oh, yeah. awesome. <laughs> Turns out it was authentic. <laughs> and and plus the, the movement right now is like people don't care. Even competitive players are like actively saying like play your play your proxies. If you play against me in a yeah. tournament, I will not report you. Like I, I just uh, people are done. <laughs> people are done at this point. Thanks to the Magic 30 thing. I've never seen such a big movement in sport of like proxies. Although personally, I still am squeamish about counterfeits, but definitely on board with proxies yeah i mean i i i'm not gonna reach across the table and inspect every card you play i don't really care <laughs> yeah I, I i told a story before but when i played legacy i saw a lot of very questionable dual lands right but like what do i do like call a judge on you like i don't care right like i'm just happy to play some legacy right so we just play legacy right uh but <laughs> It would be funny if someone was like losing a match and they were like, okay, you know, I, I got, I got, I, I need a winning in here. I'm going to call the judge on your fake looking tundra, get you DQ'd, <laughs> and then like make it to the top eight. Like, I, I wonder if that's a thing. Do you get a game loss if you have a illegal card object or do they just make you like proxy a land or something? I don't, I actually don't know I, what happens. I, I, I think, I think it's like, you're, is it cheating? And, and, and is it cheating? I, I think, it, I don't know. I think it depends on if they believe that you did it intentionally or accidentally. My, I think how it works is if it's accidental and you're like, oh, no, I just like I bought this somewhere. I didn't know it was fake. Yeah. Then yeah. they take and make you replace it with a basic land. But if you obviously uh, in some way let them know that you intentionally were playing counterfeits and you knew it was fake, then I think you can get a game loss or a DQ or whatever. So don't gloat on Twitter because how else <laughs> yeah. would they ever be yeah. able to figure out whether it was intentional? I was like, I, I bought this deck on Craigslist and it turns out to be 100% fake. How am I supposed to know, right? Like, yeah. I just can't believe I won with proxies in my deck. <laughs> I think people uh, will do that though, and that kind of scares me. It reminds me, I was doing that cheating yeah. video a little while ago, and like there was a Saito game back in like 2002 where he was losing. So he like picked up his deck and shuffled it for no reason, and then gave it to his opponent to try to get them to cut it. And his opponent cut it, and then he called a judge and said, My opponent just cut my deck for no reason, DQ him. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> wait, did that work? <laughs> no, he ended up getting an 18th month suspension as a result of those shenanigans. But but you know, if like people try that, someone's gonna try to be like, That dual land looks a little sketchy, like, judge, like, check this out. Is that fake? Uh, judge, I, mean, I, I feel bad for the judges every that, card. Like, get called in and like I, I don't know like I don't want to yeah <laughs> you know like when you go sell store you know like your cards at a store and then the person in the car is like I have no idea if this is fake or not there's like that one person in the store that can actually check yeah. you know like you get a you get like the whole GP comes to a halt as like the yeah. one counterfeit person one is like checking like yeah <laughs> oh, I lost my magic. loop anyone have a loop <laughs> god uh, all right. Next question. Uh, heavens, H-E. Richard is always introduced as the owner of MTG Goldfish. What does that job entail day to day? So I'm usually mocking around with the website. Uh, so keeping it up, get it, keeping all the cards. So Nieruk helps upload all the cards and stuff like that. So like the previews. But with every new set comes a new mechanic and a new thing to add to the deck editor. And uh, new eight-sided cards and things like that. Um, and then, you know, I do some content things in the background. Uh, but mostly, mostly, I just keep the website alive and going, uh, which 
is getting challenging as we get so many cards and so many new mechanics now. Uh, yeah. our, our card database is insane, by the way. Like, there's just so many cards now. If you actually take a look at it, it's kind of scary. I, I don't know how that stuff works. Is there ever, like, a breaking point? Like, can there be too many card versions for the database and the whole thing just explodes? Yes. <laughs> so you may notice that suspiciously, sometimes the website is, like, choking and dying for, like, eight hours. That's me resuscitating it because we have, like, too much data. Um, because we have, like, so not only cards, right, but we have, like, so many decks as well. Yeah. And we have, like, terabytes of deck data and collection data, right? And... Uh, it's a lot, given that it's just text. So we're not even counting the images. Uh, but yeah, there, there, there are breaking points to this. Um, and then there are breaking points when they add new, new things like, you know, double face cards, melds, you know, like those kind of things. Six-sided arena cards for fun, backgrounds, <laughs> things like that. Uh, and I don't bother some of them. Like, for example, you can't make a sticker board in the deck editor. And I'm like, if you need a sticker board, then tough That's luck. You. <laughs> what? Oh, we we, we got to do a podcast where we interview Richard. What was the worst one? Because I know we've talked about this before with all the new mechanics and six-sided cards. Was there anyone in specific that was, like, especially hard to make work on the site? No, because we can just always hack hack it in like Watsi does with photo. <laughs> like we're like, if the card is exactly this, then do that. Uh, but like some, I guess some curveballs would be uh, uh, the arena rebalanced. Oh, it's yeah. It's very difficult because like if you have a Teferi, uh, so, so Arena doesn't handle this, by the way, right? So Arena, if you make a deck list, you have to explicitly put the A-Teferi in. Uh, but on Goldfish, you can just put Teferi, right? And then if you're viewing it uh, in the context of Arena, it will show you the Arena Teferi, uh, like the historic rebalanced Teferi. And then if you view it in Standard, it'll show you the Standard Teferi. And your deck list works in both, uh, which it does not in <laughs> Magic Arena. Or when they rebalance a card, your deck list will just automatically have the rebalanced version on Goldfish. Uh, so that was a loop. Uh, Friends Forever... Um, Stranger Things. So that was the oh, first time we had alternate card names that go to the same, uh, or sorry, alternate card names first and then the magic names after. And then making it work in like Commander and things like that. Like you can't have both the magic one and the non magic one in a deck. Um, that one was interesting. <laughs> and then the arena six sided, I forgot what it was like, specialized or whatever. Oh, my God. Like, nobody plays alchemy, right? But, like, there's, like, that one person that will email me and be like, hey, this doesn't work, right? So, like, we got, I, like, I spent so much time working on it, and, like, no one uses it because it's alchemy and it's specialized, right? And I'm like, well, you know, we've got color identity working and everything, right? Like, it all works, right? But I, I can only, I can only sense, like, how demoralized the, the alchemy programmers are on Arena. They spent all this time making new sets or whatever, and then they just get, like, their face bashed in on Reddit. I'm like, oh, <laughs> poor souls. <laughs> well, yeah, fun, fun new. And of course, Wizards gives us like no warning for any of this, right? So we're just like, ah, oh, surprise, spoiler season. Here's like a 30-sided card. Yeah. And then we're like, okay, you know, time to update the deck editor. <laughs> uh, okay. Next question. Brian Flaherty 3, loving the post-ban standard shakeup and wishes was a more common thing. Bannings all the time would be a bummer who bought those cards. What about increasing the minimum deck size and standard at a set cadence until a new set comes out? What does that mean? So <laughs> increasing I, I the minimum deck size and standard at a set cadence until a new set. So like, <laughs> so like a month 60 after cards and then 70 cards. You go like up to 70 later. and then another month, 80, and then it resets, I guess. Um, I'm sure Wizards would love it because it would make people buy more cards, but it seems like it would be a hassle to keep up on in paper. Like, I don't know if on Arena, I guess maybe it'd be okay, but do you really want to be like, oh, another week has went past. I got to figure out how to add <laughs> 10 more cards to this deck or something. It just seems like it seems it's not very simple or elegant, I would say. So I think the complexity of it might make me not want to do that. Although I like where the, the question is heading towards trying to keep standard fresh. So I think it's a good goal. I don't know if I like the actual execution, though. Why are we ending up in Yorian-sized decks? <laughs> How does that help with the bannings, though? I don't understand. 
eventually just it gets to... well i think it's to keep the meta more diverse is the idea oh, like it's forcing I people see, to I play see. more cards essentially yeah 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 and then by the end of standard you get up to battle of wits and then it starts over yeah. <laughs> you gotta play a 250 card I, I i do wonder if the quicker rotations would be more popular now now that we're mostly digital yeah Korea. that's that's exactly I what i was wondering bring that back i would love to try that again standards like solved super easily but then again it's like how many more printing mistakes and errors would happen if they had to put like like faster rotations, more sets, all this other stuff? Like, I I I'm curious where to see that goes, but I would like to see faster rotations in standard. Yeah, Enough. I do think you need to remove cards quickly because I like we so we removed Me Hook Massacre. Standard feels exactly the same to me because <laughs> Fable is still there, right? Like they and like yes, we have a quote unquote new meta, but like. I feel standard is solved. <laughs> like, I don't feel like playing any more standard. I feel they need to actually rotate. Like, they need to get rid of, I don't know, Wandering Emperor, Fable, or whatever. And then it would look Wandering fresh, right? Emperor. So, you know, like, these staples you see, like, every single match, right? Like, they just actually just rotate them, not for power level, but for freshness, right? So... I mean... That, that's how we ended up with Splinter Twin Band, right? Wasn't that wasn't that kind of the <laughs> the reason for that? I I think it makes sense though. Like just just shake things up, especially in digital. The other thing I would say is maybe a more elegant solution is maybe only let people play three copies of a card instead of four or something. I think something like that could be interesting to try. Like, if whoa, you can't calm play... down, Yu Gi Oh. <laughs> All right, <laughs> wait, is Yu Gi Oh three ups? <laughs> oh, is it? I... I think so. <laughs> I mean, Hearthstone, yeah, Hearthstone, Hearthstone also, like, reduces the number of mythics two, you can play, right? right? You can only play one yeah. of a mythic and two of other cards. Like, I don't know, like, some people like the idea of restricting cards. I feel like that would be too swingy, and then you're just trying to tutor up your busted cards, which isn't fun. But I could see going, like, uh, making people play more cards by not letting you play as many copies of the same card. I what if we go singleton? Good to try what if we just Ooh. be like everything standard is brawl? <laughs> Every yeah. format turns. But would into it brawl. be better? Would you actually see more cards or there's you would see more cards, but I don't know if it would be as enjoyable. Like combo would die, right? I think the decks that you would you'd see a lot of different decks because some of the current decks wouldn't function, I don't think, if you can only play one copy of well, we said that in Yorian was a thing. So I, I have full faith that we can find enough cantrips and redundant cards <laughs> such that it looks effectively the same. Especially <laughs> older formats. I think older formats will mostly be fine, but standard might be awkward. But like Yorian. Yorian is a thing. <laughs> we we don't need four of us. You you mentioned standard. Did anything change in standard because of that banning? Like, it, does anything feel different to you, Krim? I know Richard said no. I I guess I've seen and, a couple of different decks, but it really like I think the game plays better without me hook. But it's not like I've seen a ton of new decks as a result of the banning. Have you noticed anything like that? Yeah, I I feel like the standard like space is way different than uh like what it was before. I I feel like there's a lot more aggression between both best of one and best of three i do agree that like now as richard had mentioned just everything is a fable uh is fable like all over the place and there's a lot of mono white but there is aggression now right i mean between by... tokens mono white by you know like there, there's a lot oh i i thought by aggression you meant like esper plays another two drop like a couple more two yeah. drops than it, it did before yeah, the banning yeah. <laughs> super aggressive yeah <laughs> <laughs> It's true though. I mean, so so the the current meta on Goldfish is Esper midrange, Jun midrange, Grixis midrange, Jun Windgrace, and then Delver and Mono Red, and then Rakdos midrange. So Mono Black got knocked down like pretty far. Yeah, why? Kami War decks have popped up. Like <clears throat> why? Because I guess you can play your Mana Dork now without. I, yeah, maybe. I was wondering that. Like Kami War does not seem super impacted by <laughs> the Meat Hook Massacre out of all the decks in Standard. So why did that become a big winner? I mean, it's mid range maybe... fest. <laughs> it, yeah. it destroys other mid range decks, right? So when we're mid range fest, we get even greedier and go even more mid range. Uh, I don't know why that happened, but here we are. <laughs> do, you, do you see more aggro in best of one, Krim? Because I don't really play best of one meaningfully, and I feel like I play the black decks a ton still, and then occasionally like a Delver or a Gruul or a, a Cameo or something. But is best of one, uh, do you have a more diversity in matchups there, you think? I see it in both. 
So I just okay. see more aggro in both in general. Like, cause I, I just do a nice mixture whether I'm streaming or not. And like, it's really nice. Um, it's a bit of everything all around. So it's a pretty spread out meta plus fable of the mirror breaker. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where gruel went. Maybe mono red is just better than gruel now without meat hook in the way. But Gruul was yeah. a bit popular before, and Gruul's kind of fallen off. Yeah, I see in the Moto results once in a while, but I n hardly ever play it on Arena. Yeah. Well, I guess, wait, when's Brothers War coming out? <laughs> it's uh, coming so out soon. Spoilers should be kicking off next weekend while we're in Vegas, and then I believe the, the middle of November, I want to say the... Ooh, 18th maybe or maybe it's 11th i think it's the 18th so we, we got about a month just under a month until we'll have a new standard set to shake things up which is pretty exciting so so they have to print like a let's say a two mana two two when it enters the battlefield bounce a token destroy target enchantment and if we can make this thing <laughs> i think we'll get a meta shape up otherwise it's gonna be fable fest all over <laughs> I think Fable Fest is here to stay for quite some time. There has to be time. some efficient way to like deal with Fable once it's hit the battlefield. And I don't know how they can make one that's not so like broken. It has to hit Fable and only Fable and not just like random other things and just two for one for fun. But it has to be good enough to play <laughs> like in a deck main deck. Yeah. Commands. Ah. Fables oh like yeah, a command. A command that snipes an enchantment and like a two-two or something like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, like that like a, it has to be a super command though. Because <laughs> I wanted to be choose three. Whoa. Whoa. Look, we had it's, triumphs. I, I so feel like why you can one for one fable. You're more than happy to play it, and that will bring fable down. I don't think you need to actually two for one back the fable. Fable is, uh, it, it kind of ruins my day because I've been trying to play all these decks built around cool enchantments like Vesuvian Duplomancy, Riveteer's Ascendancy, and everyone can kill an enchantment because everyone wants to be able to kill Fable. So it's yeah. just impossible to play the bad enchantments because everyone's teching to kill like the, the that in wedding announcement, I guess, like the two like really yeah. good enchantments in the format. So the life of like the arcane bombardment player or whatever. Oh, it's so it's it's rough times, rough times for the janky enchantment player right now. There's an arcane bombardment deck <laughs> that, that, that is that lives long enough to do what it wants. Okay. I'm here you live. For that. You live long enough. You just can't keep the bombardment on the battlefield for more than a turn. Someone's someone's always going to snipe it. Uh. <laughs> All right. Last fish mail question. Eleven vicious. What if Magic Thirty's beta draft is Magic Thirty Collector's Edition proxy nonsense? <laughs> 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 what if you're just I... drafting thirtieth anniversary instead of like actual beta? How how upset? <laughs> oh, people internet? would. Oh my goodness, it would be a field day and it would be hilarious. I'm sure it's not. Uh, I don't think Wizards would be that manipulative. Although I do think, and I've heard other people say this, that one of the upsides of 30th Anniversary Edition is in the future they could do like 30th Anniversary Edition drafts or something and kind of have simulated cube-style beta drafts at events like this without actually having the beta packs because beta packs are not easy to come by. I assume even for Wizards, like they do these so infrequently. I bet they don't even have that many <laughs> beta boxes sitting around anymore. So I don't think they're going to do that in Vegas this year, but I do think we'll see special events in the future that are feature drafting 30th Anniversary Edition. Why would you want to draft 30th anniversary edition? It's like That's $750. Did you actually watch the gameplay from the Vegas beta draft? Oh, it's horrible. It is it's, it's horrendous. People are just like drafting lands and like the land is actually the better card for their deck. <laughs> right? They're not just money drafting. Like the, the draft environment is actually horrendous. So I don't know they didn't... that you want to do this. And they didn't design those sets for limited. Like they weren't. Yeah. They, that was not part God, of magic yeah. when they were making those sets. So yeah, they're oh, they're so bad. Fun to watch though, because you never. It's know It's fun to watch. It's fun to watch like once in a lifetime. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I don't know. We'll see what the second. Uh, Will you? Are you going to watch for it? this beta draft? But we know what it's going to look like, and it's going to be bad, and it's going to be awkward, and it's just funny. But I think like the the real appeal is opening the money card, right? You just want to see someone open like. Uh, a really rare a black lotus beta card. or something yeah, yeah. right That's... and i don't know if we get that same awe if it's like 30th anniversary <laughs> it doesn't yeah, for like... me but also wow that silver showcase 
Oh boy, that, that was that was. Oh. Wow. Remember, remember when that was the thing everyone was mad about? How far we've come in the last few years? How many more things we've had to rage about on the internet? Wait, wait, what's what's Silver Showcase? I don't remember. It was the uh, everybody drafted like or uh, open. What is it? Beta Alpha boosters, and it was like only uh, eight people, like a select group of people, were invited. Yeah, and it was like Hearthstone players or whatever. Like it wasn't all like well-known Magic people, so the community like freaked out about it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, how far we've come from! Oh, we've we've come so far. (laughs) How far we've come from that? Uh, All right. So thank you to everyone who sent in fish mail. If you have questions in the future, send them to at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MTG Fish Mail, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I believe that brings us to the end of episode 404 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard Krim, thanks for hanging out. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will be back next week to talk about whatever goes on in the world of magic. So, until then, have a spectacular week, everyone. And this is the crew signing out. 